Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at I will say that that 2014, there was a lot of just kind of um, internal confidence, you know, in the locker room. We we knew we were very good. We we knew we were going to be a very good football team, and uh, I didn't want to screw that up. We're on a collision course for the national championship, and only variable is time. And we're back. Another episode of From the Pink Seeds podcast of the series of Where Are They Now? I'm here with Matt McGavick. No Jacob Lane tonight. Matt and I gave him the night off. You know, it just so happens to be his 30th birthday, so make sure everybody gives Jacob plenty of happy birthday wishes on twitter i know it'll probably be about five days late by the time this podcast comes out but it'll still be good it'll still be good uh, i'm joined in with matt mcgavick again uh matt how are we doing doing pretty good it's uh interesting having to record this intro when it's just us two knuckleheads because you know we had presley meyer well, he's going to join us with our interview with art harmony but you know his wi-fi went out so now it's just us two but uh, anyways i'm just ribbing you presley it was we've interviewed a lot of former louisville guys former pros, things of that nature. We haven't interviewed a Lou Groza award winner before. So, you know, this is always a first. Oh, man, that was cool. It's, it's cool to have guys, you know, with his pedigree that are on the show. Uh, like you said, you just don't get an award winner on your show every once in a while. We had John Grenard, who's a current, current defensive lineman for the Texans on prior. I mean, just the people and the guests that we keep adding on to the show are awesome. I encourage everyone to continue to follow along. As we continue to add more guests onto the show and more episodes to where are they at, where are they now throughout the summer? Uh, Matt, I'll let you rattle off some uh, arts notable achievements. I mean, the dude is an absolute stud. Any college team in the country would be blessed to have a kicker like this on their football team at some point in time. Yeah, I mean, listen to these stats. 60 of 73 on career field goals, 253 for 255 on career extra points. Those two misses only came in his sophomore season. He ranked second in the nation amongst in scoring among kickers in 04 as a true freshman. At the time that he graduated from Louisville, he was third all time in the NCAA in scoring and first among kickers. When you talk about some of the most accomplished Louisville players of all time, of course, Lamar's going to be up there. But one of the more underrated selections is Art Carmody, considering like he had his name all over the Louisville record books when it comes to the kicking position. It, it always makes me laugh, Matt. You know, you get a you get a good, consistent kicker like Art, like Blanton Creaky, and you start seeing him c- climb these record boards of most points scored here. Most points scored there, so they're starting to pass up guys like who are throwing all these touchdown passes and running for touchdown passes and catching touchdown passes. But, you know, here comes a little old kicker climbing the ladder, <laughs> climbing the ladder. I mean, the dude's an awesome, awesome interview. As Matt said, Lou Groza, award winner in 2006, first team all Big East. I mean, 
absolute stud. I'm excited for you guys to listen to this one. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, follow it, and I hope you all enjoy this interview. All right, and we are on with the man, the myth, the legend, the Card Chronicle uh, writing guru, if you will, uh, <laughs> Arthur Carmody. Welcome to the From the Pink Seas podcast. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing great. And uh, uh, we were talking earlier, uh, I think the podcast and everything you guys are doing is great. Uh, I'm a subscriber to it. Um, I haven't left a, a five-star review. Uh, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll review my own episode. Uh, but you guys are great. And I think the, the podcast is awesome and love hearing from uh, from former Cardinals is when you get done playing, you know, Vince, you can probably talk about this. You you become a huge fan uh, of yeah. the program. So um, the, the further you, you get away from it, it's fun to go back and hear former players and their experiences. Um, you know, we talked before, uh, the one about Greg Brom in the early 90s, you know, hearing about that program and, and building it up was awesome. So I'm just honored to be able to join you guys. Yeah, that's like that's been the cool thing for me with this whole series is uh, being able to talk to guys like Greg and hear what their era was like, and uh, Devon hear what their his era was like, and then moving forward with John Grenard, who I was a part of, and everything, and just seeing all these transitions and seeing how much better we've gotten, it's it's so super cool, and just seeing the trajectory of where Jeff is going to be having this program is awesome. I'm sure it's awesome for you to see as well. Yeah, love it. So, Art, what, what is your experience uh, working with Jeff and Greg? Obviously, you know, playing with with, with Brian, but did, did you guys develop much of a relationship when you were actually at UofL? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brian was my college roommate, um, so I lived with him for three years, uh, along with a, another good friend of ours, Justin Dealey, um, who was actually in, in his wedding uh, last week in Scotland, this past weekend in Scotland. And um, so I got to know the Braun family very well. Um, used to go over for, uh, for dinners with Brian and, Oscar uh, and Donna, and Donna's the real MVP, uh, if you ask me. And the family. But, you know, Jeff had come on um, the first year that he was quarterback's coach was my first year there. And uh, I remember talking to um, Jonathan Gannon, who was a student assistant, who then became a GA kind of underneath uh, the Petrino staff. And he was telling me that Jeff was um, one that always stuck to his guns, um, was, was very convicted in, uh, in the meetings. And, um, you know, with the Petrino coaching staff, you know, he, he would push back on, on things with, with Bobby and um, uh, he was a player's coach too. I mean, the, all the QBs in the QB room uh, love Jeff. I love playing for him, um, you know, cause I, I was considered an integral part of the offense at that time. And um, I, I'm really, really excited to see what he does with, with the Cardinals. You know, I was able to go up to, uh, to a game at Purdue and, and watch, uh, watch him coach. And he's just uh He's an awesome guy, and uh, I know I know the players are going to love playing for him. Uh, I love playing for uh, playing for him, and I uh, can't can't wait to see what he does this uh, this fall. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall with that pushback uh, Jeff gave Petrino in some yeah. capacity. Yeah, I mean it wasn't like a true pushback, but you know he would stick to his guns. Yeah, oh yeah, no doubt. He'd be a recruit. You know he he would voice his opinion and. Um, you know, uh, you know, he worked with, you know, the, the offense, the integral part of that with Brian uh, and the rest of the quarterbacks. I mean, yeah, they're all college coaches. They all got egos. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm sure, That's I'm sure true. they butted heads a little bit. All right. Now let's, let's, let's dial back the clock a little bit. I've, you mentioned how you were roommates with Brian. He's born and raised here in Louisville. You, you actually born, uh, born and raised down in Shreveport, Louisiana, came up through Loyola college prep. So you're not, you're not as familiar as, as Brian and the rest of the Brahms are when you're, 
going through the motions of your recruitment and you finally, and you get to Louisville, you check it out, maybe on a recruiting visit. What was, what was your first impression as a recruit? And what was it about Louisville that made me say, I'm going to leave Louisiana and come up to Kentucky to come here for college? Yeah. So it was, it was late in the game. So I was recruited heavily to Louisiana tech by Tony Levine, who was the uh, special teams coach at Louisiana tech at the time. And uh, he had gotten the job after signing day, which was mad. I know you're kind of aware of a lot of these coaches will, will kind of uh, have these jobs that they're going to make official after signing day, but they're going to make sure that recruiting class gets signed before they move on to the next post. And so I got a call from Tony Levine um, after signing day, just saying, hey, I'm leaving Louisiana Tech. And it, it was going to be a walk-on situation at that point, but um, I built a very good relationship with him and, and felt that he truly believed in me that, um, you know, that I could be a, a Division One college kicker. And so he uh, took the Louisville job, didn't really hear much from him. And then it kind of in March of uh, my senior uh, senior year, he, uh, he called and said, hey, we got a good situation here. Nate Smith is going to be a, uh, a senior. They don't have anybody signed into this uh, upcoming class. We're going to bring in a bunch of walk-ons and whoever, you know, whoever is going to be an open competition. And, um, you know, if you win the job, you can eventually get put on scholarship. So I, I went up there on a visit, an uh, unofficial visit. Uh, me and my parents flew up to Louisville. And, and my first impression was just the uh, – the uh, the excitement of the football program uh, under Bobby Petrino and just it's kind of seeing the stadium and yeah, I came from a small school in Louisiana. Um, I mean Snoopy is our mascot. We're not not a very good football. <laughs> Snoopy's uh, y'all's mascot. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's on the helmets and everything. Uh, and so we weren't a football powerhouse, and I, I wasn't heavily recruited. And so just the fact that a program like Louisville was giving me an opportunity to walk on and be a part of that football program. Um, with the uh, kind of the excitement they had uh, with, with the new coaching staff was something I, I really wanted to be a part of. And, and uh, I remember sitting in the Arby's, the one that's right there around the corner from the stadium. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, shout out to that Arby's. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember just saying, I think this is where I want to go. I think this is the best opportunity for me. And so I made the decision to walk on. That's freaking awesome. Arby's man. played a role in Art <laughs> Carmody's recruitment. That is not as, as I expected to hear. <laughs> so, man, yeah, you get here and you start tearing it up immediately. You're leading the country and kicking uh, kicking statistics, and you can't even drink legally. So, what was that like for you? You know, being the big man on campus in terms of the special teams world. Well, I mean, it, it didn't start out that way. I mean, I remember the first, you know, the first uh, first year I was in that first fall. I kind of had that. You kind of go through that freshman. Uh, kind of realization of can I do this um, can, and, and can I win this job? I mean, it was an open competition. There were five other walk-on kickers uh, at the time, and then we were always kind of under the threat of, okay, well, they can go they can go um, scholarship a guy. You know, they, they can go bring in a guy, and as a walk-on, uh, as you know, Vince, you, you know, you're, you're kind of bottom of the depth chart, and they're all going to sure. be a scholarship guy, you know, every, um, you know, every opportunity to win the job. And so we yeah. kind of went that, 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 went that fall – and then that that spring practice, um, you know, I won the job outright in the spring. There's no doubt about that. Um, but but then it's kind of okay, you know, they, they didn't put me on scholarship until right before uh, fall camp. So that was a big relief uh, being being put on scholarship then. But I, I will say that that 2014, there was a lot of just kind of um, you know uh, internal confidence, you know, in the locker room. We we knew we were very good. We we knew we were going to be a very good football team. And uh, I didn't want to screw that up. So, you know, each game was kind of, you know, uh, I was BYJ, do my job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to, uh, you know, to be the integral part of the football team. And, 
you know, fortunately we, we were good and we were um, just lighting teams up uh, on the scoreboard and, uh, uh, you know, being able to, um, you know, to set records early on was, was a lot of fun. Your sophomore year, lots of ups and downs. Uh, but there's a quote from Coach Petrino. I've heard it. Plenty of players, I believe, have heard it. And uh, Coach Petrino asking if you were throwing a game. <laughs> can we can we talk about that for a second? What is, what is your response whenever Coach Petrino is asking are you throwing a game? Because I remember whenever he asked Tobias Hughley the same thing against Kentucky. Uh, and, you know, it was a, everybody else left. I'm sure Tobias didn't laugh, but I mean, we all, the rest of us did. So, so my, my, and I'm glad you brought that up, Vince. Uh, <laughs> the, mine actually happened in, um, it was the, my, my first, uh, do you have money on this game? Are you throwing this game? Was, the last game of my junior year, I'm on, uh, you know, um, on pace to win the Lou Groves Award, and I, I miss a 36-yard field goal against Connecticut, and I get back to the sidelines, and, you know, he's asking me, do I have money on this game? Granted, I haven't missed much that entire season. We were up like 24 to 7 uh, when I missed it, and uh, I get back to the sideline, and uh, I would usually go, uh, I went over to Harry and Brian's. They were sitting there. And uh, I asked Harry, because Harry was my holder, and I said, Harry, is, it, is, is uh, they ever said, you know, asked if you got uh, money on the game? I mean, Coach Petrino just told me that. And that that just kind of just, you know, odd. And Harry, and Harry was like, already, he's been saying that to me every game my entire career. So, uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was the first time he had used it with me. Um, uh, you know, the other, the other favorite, one of my other Petrino stories in my sophomore year, I missed my first extra point, which, you know, after making hundred something in a row at Cincinnati and it's, I missed it in the first quarter on the first drive. And then in the third quarter, Tony Levine, special teams coordinator says, Hey, Coach Petrino wants to see you. I'm like, Oh, okay. And so I go to him and he's like, you know, what the hell happened on that first extra point? And I was like, I, to be honest, coach, I, I just missed it. He's like, well, you better start making them. I'm like, well, <laughs> And that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll start doing that. But uh, yeah, he, he, yeah, he's he always had kind of those. Uh, uh, it, he, you know, it, it, Vince, you even played for him. I mean, he always kind of want to have the upper hands. Oh yeah, oh, he came behind me, man. Uh, I'll never forget it. One of my f- funny Petrino moments. Uh, I'm a walk on. Uh, it's first fall camp, and you know, I'm like, oh, I want to make a good impression and everything, and. Uh, not look like an idiot out here. Well, you know, two plays in a row. It just so happened I went to the ground with no pads on. And, <laughs> I mean, it's not like I meant to tackle the guy, the running back or whatever. It just – I got bumped by the side, by no lineman. My cleat guy – I remember my cleat got caught the second time, so I did one of those front cleat stumbles into a guy. And I, I'm getting ready, getting the play from Grantham, and I hear – Come behind my ear if you ever do that shit again. Fifty-two, you'll never see the fucking field here. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. all right, <laughs> noted. All the time, yeah. Sorry, sorry, my my dog in the background. He's going nuts. Yeah, it's it's a rite of passage on this podcast. Okay, good, good. Actually, while while we're on that topic, before I dive into my next question, I gotta know, like, what is there like a most memorable Bobby Petrino story for you? Because it seems like every player has at least one or two or five. 
I'll preface it by saying um, Bobby Petrino gave me an opportunity to play college football, so I'll always be, and he gave me a scholarship, so I'll be, you know, grateful for that. But, um, uh, and it was actually one of the questions that Jacob sent what we're going to talk about tonight, like a, a kick that I wish I had back. And I'll answer that one right now. It was uh, sophomore year, first game of the year at Kentucky. I shanked a 21-yard field goal right before uh, the end of the first half. You can go back on YouTube and you watch the uh, the halftime interview with, with Petrino. He's not very happy with me. Play that Sunday. And then we have basically, you know, Labor Day off. And then we come back for that uh, that Tuesday practice. Vince, you can back me up on this. But Trino used to always do PAT field goal at the very end of practice. It, yep. was, it was how he ended practice. So yes. we'd go out and warm up early, you know, Blanton and all those guys. We'd go out early, warm up before practice. And then kind of practice starts. We kind of do our own thing. And then you kind of just wait till the very end of practice. Man, y'all like, are over there hanging out with your helmets off, not doing yeah, anything. Come exactly. On. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we weren't. And we weren't. I mean, I, we used to do a lot of dumb stuff while you guys were practicing. Um, and so he blows the whistle from stretch, and he calls for PAT field goal. And I'm like, uh-oh. Like, this is first period PAT field goal. It's never happened. It wasn't even on the script. Uh, so he, instead of instead of putting the ball, like, we go the, – the managers go to put the ball at the, the, the three-yard line in the middle for the PAT. Well, he calls for the ball on the four-yard line right hash. And so we – we do that, you know, we go back, kick, make the kick, you know, and as you go, you make it, everybody kind of starts venturing. Yeah. Exactly. yeah he's shifting you over. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, hit it again. We do it again. Hit it again. He made me kick 10, 21 yard field goals in a row. Um, and that was PAT field goal for that day. And then we get done and he, and he blows the whistle. And, you know, I said, when he, when he would be mad at you, he'd call you by your number. Oh, and yeah. so he's like, he's like, hey, you know, 18, get over here. And so I go to him. He's like, you will never miss an effing field goal like that ever again. I'm like, <laughs> sir. And then they went on with the rest of practice. Uh, and then sure enough, we're playing North Carolina like three weeks later. And we've got a 21-yard field goal on the right hash. I, I, that was the most nervous kick I think I ever had in college. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you hear him in the back of your head? Yeah, like, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Vince, man, I snuck that thing in the right inside the right upright. It, oh, it, my God. Almost missed it. Yeah. I always felt so bad for Blanton, man, I, or at least so nervous for him. I just those end of the practice moments, a surprise like Petrino special teams moment, like you're mentioning, where he's, you know, wanting to work on something that you might have up on the week prior. Yep. And I mean, I'm like, man, I really hope Blanton makes this for his mental health. <laughs> but, listen, hey, Blanton and I, Blanton and I have become really good friends um, over over the years. Um, I love him to death. We have had a lot of long conversations about uh, playing for Bobby. Oh, I bet. I guarantee, I guarantee it, man. I, yeah. I, I guarantee it for sure. So uh, walk us through that uh, 2006 season. What was it like uh, knowing that a national title berth was a very real possibility for you guys and uh, kind of the excitement and stuff behind that? Yeah, so, you know, um, we had a really, really great stretch there, uh, kind of that, you know, Petrino's first, first go around, um, you know, 2014. We knew we were good, and, you know, we just – we kicked the tar out of everybody. You know, we really were, were only challenged a couple times uh, uh, that year. Uh, and then going into 05, I mean, we thought we had a really good football team then, and we kind of stumbled out of the gate. You know, we let Kentucky hang around uh, that first game. Uh, we went on the road and got just lit up um, by South Florida, and that, you know, they kind of put a damper in things. And obviously the West Virginia game in 05 where – we lost in triple overtime, which was basically the the start of the Pat White, Steve Slayton era. 
Yep. Um, you know, indirectly because we knocked out their starting quarterback, you know, just to into the third quarter. Um, and so the whole offseason was geared towards a beating West Virginia because we knew they had everybody back, but then also it we knew we would be ranked high and we knew that if we took care of business, we could play ourselves into that conversation. And so um, you know, it, and I started back saying the the Michael Bush injury, um, and I love Michael, and he his locker was right next to mine. How our locker room was, it was all it was based by numbers. So just you know, the I was number eighteen, he was number nineteen, so we were right next to each other. With him, I mean, with him and Brian that year, we felt that we were going to be pretty much unstoppable uh, on offense, and it was just can you know our our defense uh, play well, which they did. They actually, you know, kept us in a lot of ball games, um, when Brian was, uh, Brian was down and we had Hunter playing quarterback, but, um, that year was a, there's a lot of strong leadership from the upperclassmen. We had a lot of like team meetings every week. If, if we didn't have a good practice, uh, Amobia Koye, Will Gay, you know, Brian, um, you know, Eric Wood, uh, even as a, uh, a, a sophomore, um, on that team had a lot of, you know, leadership at that point. We'd have team meetings where we got guys would light into each other after practice. We'd go in the team meeting room where they would, you know, make sure nobody left the, the locker room. And uh, it was, hey, we're not doing things right. We 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 got to get some. We got to get this stuff together, or you know, we're gonna we're not gonna have a shot at, at playing for the title. And as the year went on, you know, it was the the BCS rankings, you saw them fall into place. We knew as long as we won out, we were gonna we were gonna play for a national title because Michigan and Ohio State were sitting up there one and two. We knew they were gonna play each other the last, you know, in the last week of the season. Yeah. And so that was kind of you know the uh, the mindset of just hey, take care of business each week, and and we'll be there playing for a title at the end. Um, obviously, losing Michael early hurt because he was just he was so good. He could do so many things. Uh, you know, I'm gonna back. cut you off right there. What was the locker room like in that he goes down? Y'all come in on Sunday. I assume you know the severity of the injury in a nutshell, kind of, you know, it's going to be a while that there was ever an opportunity for him to come back. You know what I mean? You you don't really yeah. know because you haven't seen an x-ray or a, excuse no, me, we knew. or anything, but you get the vibe on Sunday. So what no, was that kind of like? No, trust me. We knew right away. We knew we knew when he went down that Sunday, the season, his season was over. Um, it's just one of those injuries that you just died. I saw it, you know, everybody yeah. – every, you had 42,000 people at the time. Yeah. Everybody saw it. And uh, it was unfortunate because he, he ran all over Kentucky. I mean, that really, he could probably he probably could have sat. But, um, you know, Petrina liked to light up the scoreboard, especially against those guys. You know, yeah, we were going we to try to hang 100 on them if we could. <laughs> and uh, we, we knew right away and in the locker room it was just kind of a excitement of beating Kentucky the way we did, but also – Okay, next man up, Colby Smith, um, George Stripling, um, you know, uh, those guys. Hey, you got to step up and, and, and be ready to go. And so it, it was a, a excitement versus somber thing. But then, we, you know, we had to play the next week, go on the road, um, and, and, you know, kind of keep this, as you know, next man up mentality. But when you look back on it, he really could have helped us down the stretch for sure. And I hate to bring it up, but – I have to, I have to ask about it because that 2016, the way that the season gone up to that point, the parallels are a, li- a little similar to how 2016 went, but then the the last, the latter third ends up completely different. How did that Rutgers game affect the psyche of the team? Because you, you look, I mean, g- given like how the schedule played out, I mean, like you guys could it could have easily just said, all right, well, we're not going to make it to the tail game. We could mail it in because when you look at that 16 team, 
they lose it to Houston and then the wheels fall off. You guys lose to Rutgers, then you go out and blow out South Florida, Pitt, and Connecticut, make it to the Orange Bowl and beat Wake Forest. What was the team locker room like after and during that Rutgers game? Um, yeah, and, and we and I don't know if we're going to talk about the Rutgers game later. We'll talk about it now, but that uh, you tell me, you direct me how you want. I can take you to the whole Rutgers game if you want. Go ahead, do your thing. Go ahead, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so we, we that, that's coming off the West, the huge West Virginia game, and I yeah. can't I can't preface enough that like the whole offseason was geared towards we got West Virginia at home, but we we've got to beat them. Like they're going to be they're the top team to beat. We didn't really see Rutgers coming, like, and I don't think really anybody did that. No yeah, I mean we beat them the year before like fifty six to five or something uh, like that. I mean this we didn't think they were they were as as good as they were now. We didn't overlook – I'll, I'll preface that by saying we didn't overlook them. The, the coaching staff did a really good job. We, we beat West Virginia, run an emotional high. But, again, our goal is to, our goals to play for the national title. Um, the coaching staff immediately, you know, they, they started game planning for Rutgers right after. We had actually had a really good week of practice um, leading up to that game. But then everything was just kind of off based from, from the traveling there. The, the plane – the, the the charter plane was late to Louisville. We didn't we ended up leaving like I think four hours later or something like that. You should ask Greg Brown about that because Greg Brown was on I remember him just on the phone like yelling at everybody from you know oh. my air about you know trying trying to get us out of there. So we didn't land in uh Biscataway until I think like 9 30, 10 o'clock. I mean it was a late we got in there late. We didn't have any of the any of the normal stuff. It was basically like eat and go to bed. So we didn't have any of the the night before kind of you know meetings, Vince. That I know you're t- you know you remember. Oh, my favorite! The night before yeah. meetings and the great yeah. meals. Yeah, yeah. The highlight <laughs> highlight video. We had, oh we yeah. Had, we just we basically ate dinner. There's a brief meeting, and then it was like, okay, let's let's get off our feet. And then you know it was a Thursday night game. the The whole country was hyping it up. Rutgers is the biggest game you know since Rutgers invented football in like you know 1804 or whatever it was. Uh, and so there's just a lot of hype around it, and. Um, we get there, and, and I honestly, I mean, it was awesome uh, pregame. I mean, it was a festive pregame uh, atmosphere. They played nothing but like Bon Jovi and uh, like Springsteen uh, warm up music, which is kind of rare, you know. Oh, I bet just, you were vibing out there, kicking the ball and yeah. that stuff. <laughs> yeah, and, well, uh, my backup kicker was from uh, from New Jersey, uh, Martin Zaccone. Oh yeah, and this is, he's like, this is awesome. Like, you know, this is <laughs> this is you know, this is the best pregame uh, music ever. Um, and so we were kind of in control that in, in that, that entire first half, we were up 25 to seven at one point. Like I felt on the sidelines that this game's over. We're just, we're, we're marching up and down the field against them. Our defense is in control. And then the second half, we just, we, we couldn't get anything going offensively. Um, you may have to look up the, the stats on it, but I don't think we crossed midfield um, in the second half, or if we did, it was, you know, very, very, you know, maybe right over midfield. Uh, Corey Getschi, our punter, did a great job of kind of, you know, pinning them deep and, and making them go the length of the field. But um, they kind of wore down our defense. And credit to um, Greg Schiano and, and that offense. They they just they, – they ran the ball and they, they controlled the clock. They kept Brian off the field in the second half. Uh, and it got to the point to where all of a sudden we've, we've got a tie game. Uh, they get the ball back. And it's, okay, hopefully the defense can get a stop. If not, we need we need some time to be able to go back and, and counter if, if they do score. And, uh, you know, it, 
just part of the game. Uh, Jeremy Ito misses that kick, but Will Gay, who made a thousand plays over his career at Louisville, just happened to – he was trying to make a play. You can't you can't fault him for that, but he, he jumped off sides. They get a second chance, and, and they win the game. And that was the most um, – in my four years at Louisville, that was the most, you know, somber locker room. I mean, Will Gay's in tears. Uh, you, you, can't, you can't console him. I mean, you can try to, but he's, you know – He's thinking he's cost us, you know, everything um, yeah. uh, for that for that season. And uh, uh, the plane ride back it was quiet. And um, you know, Matt, to your point, like we that was our one loss. Well, we knew okay, let's just keep playing out because you know, eventually we may get back into the uh, the uh, the you know, BC, uh, the BCS bowl, you know, conversation. And right. so um, again, that senior leadership uh, and that uh, the upperclassman leadership was really good. It kind of reset everything. And yeah, we finished we finished the year strong. I think Rutgers lost that next week, and so we knew that the door was back open. We had the tiebreakers at that point, um, as, as long as Rutgers lost. And we were looking. We were we were also kind of schedule watching, saying, okay, West Virginia plays Rutgers last game of the year. It's at West Virginia. West Virginia should be able to take care of business. So we we played Connecticut at noon that last uh, last week of the year, you know, destroy Connecticut. The Orange Bowl representatives are there. People are throwing oranges on the field. They're, they're handing out <laughs> stickers and all that. And when we're sitting there thinking, okay, well, everybody's just conceding the fact that that what Rutgers is going to lose tonight. It was like, you know, the primetime ESPN game. So late that, uh, late that afternoon, you get the uh, – this is before kind of, you know, Twitter and, and social media – but we're watching other, the other championship games because uh, the game was on championship Saturday. And uh, the, the news breaks that Pat White's not starting. He's not playing uh, against Rutgers. And so we're, we're all of a sudden, Shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we, this, you know, and, and again, this was back when there was um, the Big East Bowl lineup. It was basically BCS Bowl, Sun Bowl. So we're thinking, we're looking, we're staring into Miami, mm. El Paso. Oh and my so, God! You get oh, that word. El Paso notice, like it comes at, like you start reading it, you're just like, please, anywhere yeah. but El Paso, Texas. Yeah, and 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 uh, yeah, and by the way, we'll talk about that later. I've, I've been really involved in the bowl landscape uh, post football career uh, with the Independence Bowl. I can I can tell you stories about that. But uh, so we're we're there. Think everybody's thinking we're going the Orange Bowl, and we're there that Saturday night, sweating a West Virginia Rutgers triple overtime. Uh, game. West Virginia scores, they get the two, Rutgers scores, and, you know, they, they knock down the, the pass. We're like, no, is there no, no flags? Make sure there's no flags. We were at the house at that time. It's like me, Brian, Justin, uh, a couple of the guys, uh, my, I think my dad and my younger brothers, two of my younger brothers there, we're jumping up and down like we won the suit because <laughs> we know That's we're awesome. not going to pass it. We get to go to the BCS Bowl. So, um, so yeah, that it was an adventurous uh, Saturday night uh, leading up to uh, leading up to, to finish the season at least. That's pretty cool. Just hearing the the comparisons of senior leaderships and us. Matt mentioned our situation in 2016 where we lost to Houston, and uh, everything kind of fell off the rails after that. A lot like you guys, we were yeah, you know, I, I was watching. At, we were, I was we were that, yeah, I was at that Houston game by the way, and that. Um, that game was very same Rutgers vibes, like huge game. They were, they were just so into it. They got a little bit of momentum to start the game. Uh, and then it was kind of like you're up an uphill battle. So I get it, man. Yeah. That's I, the senior leadership comparison between you all just being able to hold it together uh, and just continue keeping the blinders on, 
you know, we were looking at everything other than who the hell is in front of us to play. We're like, why are we not? Why are we not four? Why are we not five? You know, we should be we should be up there. We beat these teams, you know, and then eventually that creeps in, creeps in, creeps in. You get beat by a team like freaking Houston and Ed Oliver, who probably solely got drafted off that game. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. That was a painful one to watch him get drafted. But I was going to say really quickly before we move on from, you know, we try to talk as little about the Rutgers game as possible, but where does that stack up as far as the most hostile road environments you were involved in? Is that is that by far the the most hostile, or was was there anybody else that you guys traveled to? Yeah, um, West Virginia when they were when they were good, uh, that that was that was pretty hostile because um, there's I mean there's nothing to do in Morgantown except you know root for the football team. So uh, that that was um, uh, very hostile, fun. I mean it's fun to play there. Uh, you know we, when we went down to Miami in 04, they were still playing in the old Orange Bowl. And they were still coming off those, you know, uh, early 2000s Miami teams. And, and they, they were good. They weren't the, you know, a one team. That was a very hostile, uh, hostile environment. I remember not being able to hear myself think uh, there. But the Rutgers won. They, they put in extra stands uh, for that game. Um, they, you know, they, that was a very, very hostile, uh, hostile environment. They put in extra stands. What, what did that look like? Well, they put they put the bleachers in like they had like kind of like a berm type uh, thing behind there. Uh-huh. Uh, they, they just put in a whole bunch of extra stands back behind one of the end zones. Okay, for for you, I mean, I'm sure you've been in some crazy high pressure sh- situations being a kicker, man. And I got to ask you, like, what you're going up there to kick a game winner? What is going through your head in that situation? I know I'm sure it's do your job. I've done this 150 times. Blah blah blah. But you know, what, what's it feeling like hearing the roar of the crowd, you know, seeing the ball get placed there and seeing it snapped and holder holds it, you know, what, what is going through your head at that time? Yeah. Um, you're absolutely right. You're trying to, you're, you got one half of your brain that's telling you, Hey, you've done this a million times, trust your technique, all that stuff. And you got the other half of your brain. that's like, Hey, don't screw this up. You know, you'll be, a, <laughs> I don't hate you. Trina's going to yell at you, you know, class on Monday is going to be terrible. Yeah. Uh, so you're kind of fighting, you know, both sides of your, your, your brain there. Um, but again, I, I was, I was an over, uh, I overanalyzed things probably too much on the sidelines. Uh, and so I'd be kind of playing the game in my head before, you know, before the, I'd get out there. But when I got out there, it's kind of like the scene in old school when Will Ferrell's debating, uh, Carville and he kind of blacks out. <laughs> oh my God. That, that's kind of what happens. Your, your muscle memory takes over and you, you kind of like, you kind of forget you're what you're doing out there and you just uh you you execute uh it's really what you know what happens um the, the, the biggest kick that i had i think was it was at west virginia on a thursday night my senior year um uh you know i mentioned harry douglas was my holder he uh he was always scared that i was gonna kick his hand i don't know why because i never ever did it that's and such the, a wide receiver thing oh don't touch yeah, my finger yeah and so uh, so he would get scared if the if the laces weren't already out on the snap he just wouldn't spin it he would get scared that he would like spin the ball out of his hand or whatever. So I kicked the laces a lot uh, th- during my career with Harry. Um, so that West Virginia game, it's like a 38 yarder to tie the game. There's like maybe a two minutes left uh, or whatever it is. And um, you, I can't hear anything. I'm just, I'm just looking, I'm watching Harry's hands. Like I'm waiting for his hand to go, you know, to flash for the hole and his hand to go up to catch the ball. And uh, he, he catches it and puts the ball down. I'm staring laces directly at me. Uh, and I, at that point, you just swing your leg and you hope, uh, you know, so I, you know, swung my leg and kicked it and 
uh, looked up and it's, you know, going right down the middle. And I, I tell people this, and they ask me, um, I've never done any drugs, but I have to assume this is what uh, drug addicts are chasing because when it, you, you hear, you hear the, you hear the roar of the crowd, like you can't hear anything. And as soon as that ball goes through the uprights, it's just a dead silent. It's like, you can hear a pin drop and it's the coolest feeling in the world. Um, awesome. Knowing that you've helped, you know, helped your team in that situation. Uh, and at that point we tied the game and I'm like, yeah, we got this. We get back to the sideline, kick it off to Pat White. He goes like 56 yards untouched for, <laughs> uh, to, to, to win the game. So, um, uh, that was, yeah, that was my, you know, most pressure packed kick, but that's kind of the thought process going through it. It's just, uh, trust your technique. Um, Harry and I had a deal where I would, you know, we would dap each other up before uh, he'd go down to, to do the whole. Now kind of was, that would kind of get me in that routine to start it off. So obviously we, we don't, we, we don't have to talk about that 2007 season because, you know, we can just, we don't talk about the 2018 season on here either. So don't feel, yeah. don't feel yeah, that, that, that 2007 season, um, uh, there were a lot of highs in there. And also, you know, there was obviously a lot of lows. Uh, I, I like playing for Steve Trankdor. Um, I, I thought it, that whole situation was just, um, uh, was, was tough with just how the way things were put together, uh, and the hype that was, was put on that team, uh, kind of unfairly by the media. Uh, you know, when, when he, when Petrino left, which that's another story in itself, um, and I can, I, I, we can talk about that too, if you want. Um, yes. Yeah. I definitely let's, want to hear that. Actually, no, let's, let's talk about that for a second, because obviously um, earlier in that off season, he inks, what was it? A, a 10 year deal to stay at Louisville. And then it was what a month later, he bolts for the Falcons. What was that whole process like? Cause, and plus like, obviously it wasn't the first time that uh, Bobby had flirted with another gig. So, so what was uh, that specific uh, flirtation, like, and just being under a coach who was like being put, like pursued by a whole bunch of different schools. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, and again, as you get older in life and you understand the business, like you can never fault the right. coach for, for taking, you know, the, the bigger opportunity with the bigger paycheck and all that stuff. But we dealt with it every year. Oh, three, we dealt with the Auburn uh, deal. Um, we had, you know, we had a team meeting where he basically said, yeah, I met with Auburn, uh, but I'm staying here. This is where I want to be. Well, okay. Well, great. We want, we want you to be here too. Then at Oh four, it was the LSU job. You know, that, that broke right before the, um, the, uh, the Liberty bowl. And, you know, he, he, he kind of denied that, you know, he, uh, uh, met with LSU, but then it came out that he did. And I actually, know some people and I knew a guy that was in the interview room with Petrino. I found that out after the fact that he did interview for the LSU job and LSU loved him. They, they he came in with a plan uh, on how he was going to utilize their offensive talent. And uh, they, they really liked him. They just thought they were hiring another, another Nick Saban, which maybe is not a bad thing because Nick Saban has gone on to be, you know, one of the greatest college coaches, but they were looking at it from like a, uh, you know, dealing with the media, dealing with the boosters. And that's why they kind of went with the less miles, uh, miles path. And then in 06, we thought he was here for good. He signed that contract. And, um, you know, looking back on it, uh, there were the, the, the signs for me that he had maybe taken that job before the orange bowl. Uh, we, the year before in the Gator bowl, he, he had treated it. He wanted us to he treated it like we were playing for a national title. So we had like curfew every night. We had, you know, meetings all the time. Um, it was, you know, practices were sharp. Um, 
it was just like, okay, this is what we, this is what it will be like. If we play for a national title next year. I mean, this is how prepared he was in trying to win a national title. What he treated basically like the Gator Bowl. Now, granted, it was pretty easy. We were staying at like uh, uh, Vince. Were you on the team in Gator Bowl in seventeen? Uh, yes, I was. We were on a resort, right? Yeah, you saw yep. rest. He, Same he, resort. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. yeah. so like, well, there's nothing. nothing to there's do, nothing though. there. <laughs> there's nothing to do. Yeah. yeah. So. He was like, okay, I'm gonna it rained out. the whole week for uh, for us, Art. Petrino had that worked out with God too, so we couldn't even go yeah. on the beach. Yeah, there you go. So, like, <laughs> I mean, I remember just like we'd be in our rooms at like nine because we had curfew, like nine thirty and and you know ten or whatever it was. Um, but uh, and so in 06, we go to the the Orange Bowl, and we're thinking, okay, Orange Bowl, like this is you know BCS Bowl playing a Wake Forest. Did we think we were a lot better than Wake Forest? Yeah, um, but but still he canceled all the meetings. Like we would practice in the morning. Then we would have like a, a, like a special teams meeting, I think. And then he basically canceled all like the offensive defensive meetings. So we basically would practice and you know how the bowl practices are. They're kind of, kind of watered down because you're in the, you're in the middle of a public, you know, high school, wherever you're practicing. Uh, we, and then we had all afternoon to like go on jet skis and, you know, go oh at the beach and play beach volleyball <laughs> And so we basically didn't meet the entire week of the uh, the Orange Bowl. Uh, we go play the the Orange Bowl. We win. That's great. You know, and we're thinking the same thing. We got Petrino back. Um, you know, we, we Brian may be going, maybe coming back. You know, we saw we have a good team. And so we get home, and I'm literally uh, driving back to the complex uh, for that the Sunday night meeting before. Uh, you start, you know, the uh, the, the the winter semester. They tell was you Andy, was Andy your all's uh, guy back then too. No, it was Greg Brown. Oh, Greg was the guy for yeah. Oh, Greg, okay. Greg was the director yeah. of operations. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, we go to the meeting where they basically say like, okay, you're, um, you know, hey, weightlifting is going to start this time. Spring practice is going to be here. Go to class. Don't be an idiot. That that it was that kind of meeting. You know, it's like it was almost like nine o'clock, right? Like not. It's like late at night. A lot of people to get back in town. I'm driving to the complex. It's like 8.50, and I get a phone call from Joe Shad, who at the time is the ESPN senior college football reporter. He's like, you know, the Pete Thamel and the um, – uh, yep. uh, who am I thinking of from um, – on Fox? Uh, that's really like Stuart Mandel, uh, mm, you know, yep. those guys. Uh, Bruce Feldman. He liked the Bruce Feldman ESPN at the time. So he calls me at 8.50, and I'd given – I'd met him at the college football award show a few weeks, a few weeks prior – and he, I'd given him my number because he knew I was roommates with Brian. He was like, well, I may call you, you know, to get scoop on Brian. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to give you any. He's my, you know, best one. <laughs> best one but anyways, so it's that South Florida area code. And um, uh, he calls and, hey, it's Joe Shad. You know, he's being I'm like, oh, hey, man, what's going on? He's like, yeah, I just want to get a comment for you on uh, Petrino uh, being the next head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. What are your thoughts? I was like, uh, excuse me? And he was like, uh, uh, he goes, you don't, you don't know. And I was like, uh, no. And I said, actually, Joe, I'm heading to a team meeting. That's going to start in about eight minutes. Uh, I'm expecting him to be there. Uh, do you mind if I call you back? <laughs> and so, oh my gosh. so he's like, yeah, sure. And so, so he, ba- he basically had told me, he said, Hey, he signed the contract. It's going to go, uh, it's going to break at the top of the hour, which, you know, I guess Petrino maybe wanted to break at nine while he was telling us. Well, so I get in the locker room and again, remember this is before Twitter before um iphones um you know the iphone hadn't been released yet so like nobody really had like social media or anything and so we go into the team meeting room it's like 9 901 902 903 like no no petrino 
Um, then all of a sudden, the guys that were not – you're not supposed to bring your phone to the team meeting room, but guys brought their phones to the team meeting room. All of a sudden, you start hearing, like, the pings. You hear, like, the, you know, the vibrations, people calling. Yeah. The story had broke. And so, um, Petrino, to his credit, he came in and he told us why he um, – he appreciated everything we'd done that season. Uh, he told us why he was taking the job. Um he wanted to win the Super Bowl, and that was a you know career goal of his. He thought he could do it with Michael Vick as the quarterback. You know, and that obviously was the summer before the feds came and took Michael Vick uh, away. So you know that that didn't work out. Um, and then you know he teared up too. I mean, he you know he seemed genuinely um, sad that he was leaving us to go take the job. Everybody in that room, you know, we didn't fault, we didn't feel bad, we didn't you know feel bad for ourselves, we didn't fault him for uh, for taking the job. And he, you know, he walked out. It was kind of like, all right, what's next? And Paul Petrino, who was our O, o coordinator, and um, you know, his uh, younger brother was like, all right, everybody, get with your uh, position coach. And so uh, Tom McMahon was our special teams coordinator, and he was a linebackers coach as well. So the linebackers specialist got with him. It's kind of quiet, and he's kind of quiet. And I was like, well, coach, you're like, what? What do we do now? And he, and I never, and this was kind of my introduction to how college football business is. He was like, yep. well. I don't know about you guys, but right now I, I don't have a job. And so he basically all the, and, he, and remember it's January like eighth or ninth, like it's late in the, you know, the college, the coaching carousel is kind of run its course. Um, and so all the position coaches, basically, they kind of bolted up to their offices to start calling their agents or calling whatever, or trying to figure out um, what, you know, where they're going. If Petrino is going to take them with him. Cause Petrino, when he left, he basically got in the car and was flown flying to Atlanta for the press conference the next day. And so, uh, of course, I, I called Joe Shad back and, you know, give him a few uh, sound bites for, for the article. But that, that was the, uh, the, the basis of him, um, you know, leaving for, uh, for the Falcons job. And, and, and I'll segue right into, you know, uh, Tom Jurich, the AD at the time, he had to act fast. I mean, it's, you know, he had to go find a head coach. And so he hired Steve Krakthorpe and he, he put a caveat in there that uh, any of the assistant coaches that Petrino didn't take to Atlanta, he had to keep on staff. And so you had a, a, a mixture of coaching staffs at that point. You had the guys that Petrino didn't take to Atlanta versus the guys that he wanted to bring in to, um, you know, from his staff at Tulsa. And I think we, he brought in a guy to be kind of a no coordinator. Uh, that guy ended up leaving after a few weeks, just that the, the meshing didn't go well. Um, and but again, we we thought we were going to be very good in 07. Um, and uh, just you know, the 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 the, the first kind of cracks in the uh, the we're not very good armor were the middle Tennessee game, the second game when we get, they basically scored 45 on us and we couldn't stop them. That was kind of the okay, we may have a problem here, we're gonna have to put up 70 to uh, to beat some of these teams. Just looking back on that season, it you talk about the, some of the chinks in the armor, but it does kind of baffle you a little bit just how things wound up just because like you said less than 48 hours later Steve Cragthorpe sitting at that podium you know as as the new head coach like it was quick yeah when you talk about he was Petrino left on the 8th and Cragthorpe was hired on the 10th like it was it was that quick so uh it it is fascinating to hear you know George basically you know uh, stood his ground and then said in you know asked to ask Cragthorpe to keep on the other coaches. So it is kind of crazy how things just kind of ended up winding up. But as you suggested, you know, it it could be 
a lot of the pressure was on Cragthorpe to, to succeed right away. Um, whereas, you know, do you think maybe if you had some of his guys, you know, maybe things change or it, as a, as a football player, is it, is it better to kind of maintain that consistency with the coaching staff? Um, I, I think, I, I think honestly, um, offensively it was, it, it was kind of tough because, uh, Jeff had every opportunity to go wherever he he wanted to go. Um, Brian had decided to come back for a senior year, but she had actually got hurt in the Orange Bowl. And so he wouldn't have been able to go through all the pre-draft stuff. Um, he had to have a shoulder kind of scope um, there. So the decision was kind of kind of easy. I mean, the night that Petrino left, I remember going back to uh, the house. Uh, we lived on Osprey Lane right there off Poplar Level Road. And I remember kind of we're all kind of shell-shocked uh, that, you know, we don't have a coach. Um, uh, what's next? I remember, you know, Oscar coming over to the house and kind of, you know, getting with Brian and being like, okay, we, we may need to go. I mean, and those were kind of the conversations of let's look into, you know, going to the, uh, going into the NFL draft because Brian at the time was, you know, projected to be, you know, top 10 pick easily. Um, uh, but then, you know, but going back to that, Jeff, you know, Jeff was, Jeff stayed on. Jeff easily could have been the offensive coordinator, but, you know, Steve Kratthorpe brought in, um, you know, his guy. I think his name was maybe like Charlie Stubbs or something. And it just – there was some kind of clashing there. And, you know, to, to Brian's credit, Brian kept us in a lot of games. I mean, Brian, you know, had a – him and Harry Douglas basically, you know, uh, we, we would spot teams like 30 points and Brian and Harry would have to come, you know, bring, bring us back by themselves. Uh, essentially. But uh, to, to answer your question, I think it would have probably been a little bit easier if maybe a new staff had come in and just kind of kind of reset things. But again, you got you had so much, you know, veteran leadership on that team that that, that might have been tough, too, because we we'd have gone from a whole bunch of winning and we know what works to a new staff. I mean, that could have been bad, too. I, I don't know if there's any right or wrong answer on how you do that. It's, it's fascinating to look back at how things have changed so much because in this day and age, it seems like, you know, they're, they're, if, if, you, if you bring back coaches now, it doesn't really matter in this day and age. Or, or I guess it, it matters a little bit more, excuse me, in this day and age just because of the transfer portal. You know, yeah. it, that wasn't really an option for you guys. So you guys were kind of just yeah. stuck in, in the place where you, where you, where you were. So yeah. uh, it's just kind of fascinating to look back and just see how things have changed so quickly. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a completely different landscape. I mean, it's it's hard to think. I mean, time flies so bad, so fast. It's almost twenty years ago. We're, what we're talking about? <laughs> it is right. not almost twenty years ago. No, it's <laughs> not. <hard. laughs> it, it, it feels so. Like it. It, I felt terrible that we didn't hit this in like some form of form of a chronological order. But what was it like going to the you know college football award show, winning the award? Did you know you were gonna you know, uh, win the award prior? I'm always curious about that. Do they do they do they let the guys know like, hey, you're probably gonna win this right here, so you might want to get your speech ready or X, Y, and Z and stuff like that. So what so, was that like? What was that experience like for you? Yeah, I mean, as a kicker, you it's the Heisman for kickers. It's you know, it's the it's what you but you know. I remember uh, Rock Rock. Uh, uh, God bless Rocco. He's still, you know, still doing his thing. Uh, <laughs> Man, remember, you know, he came into the training room. I was getting my ankle taped up for practice, and when they the the day that they were going to announce the uh, the finalists, and again, this is about before social media or you could follow all that kind of stuff. I had no idea they were announcing the finalists that day. So Rocco came in. I was like, "Hey, congratulations! You're you know finest for the Lou Groza Award." 
And uh, I was like, okay, you know, who are the other finalists? And um, uh, and he named the, the two other finalists. I was like, okay, I actually have a shot here. Um, <laughs> so, but you know, you, you go down, and the, the way the, the the Palm Beach County Sports Commission gives out the award, they they do it really well. So they actually fly in because the award show was in Orlando at the time. And by the way, I hate that they don't do it. That they do they do this virtual award show thing. The, the best mm-hmm. part about the award show is being able to be around, you know, the best in college football. Yeah, and, uh, no doubt. Having dinner and doing all, doing all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but the Palm Beach County Sportsman's, they actually fly three finalists down that Sunday after championship Sunday. And you're there Sunday night. They have a welcome dinner. Uh, Monday morning, you play uh, you play golf at some nice golf club. Uh, we, the, Me and the other two finalists, we'd had a late night the night before, so we were not in the best shape to uh, go play golf. <laughs> Uh, and then they have a, um, a really nice uh, uh, dinner and reception um, at the, uh, the Breakers Hotel. And, and again, this is also they're doing the, uh, the, the Palm Beach County like uh, uh, offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, coach of the year, team of the year. So they got all these other high school finalists, too, that, that are with you, kicker of the year, um, you know, and all that. So they do a really nice dinner that Monday night. That Tuesday night is actually like a reception where they give you like your finalist plaque and uh, you're in a tux and there's like, you know, it's big, you know, <laughs> big old, big old deal. Uh, and then, uh, and I guess I'm, I'll get my Lamar Jackson story in a little bit, but, uh, then we bust to Orlando that Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night, they do a big get together with all the ESPN people, you know, Fowler's there, Herb Street's there, Corso's there. Um, all the finalists are there, you know, everybody's having a great time. And then, you know, Thursday, Thursday was one of the longest days because you're waiting for the awards show and you have no clue. Like you, you don't know. Uh, they don't tell you ahead of time. that you're oh. gonna win. And so you're sitting there, you know? Um, and so what they, what they do, what they did when they started doing the awards show, I found this out is because they're, they're reading the teleprompter. The, the presenters are reading the teleprompter and they used to put the winner of the award in the teleprompter. And so what everybody would do is they would just turn around and watch the teleprompter instead of watching the actual presenter. And so they quit doing that. They basically they tell the uh, the presenter um, right before they they go on stage who the winner is, and so then that's you know the presenter will know, and uh, and so then yeah, I was sitting there, my heart was beating out of my chest. Uh, I was there with my parents, and uh, yeah, they they announced it, and uh, yeah, you're on cloud nine. You basically won the Heisman Trophy uh, for kickers. Uh, went on stage, you do your bit with Fowler, um, and then you know afterwards it was really cool. The, uh, the Palm Beach Pony uh, Sports Commission got a kind of a little table in a room at the uh, uh, ESPN zone there at Disney where, you know, I don't know if it's there anymore, but they had an ESPN zone. Um, probably, uh, probably, I'm probably saying my age. Those were really popular. <laughs> <laughs> they had a table and um, uh, it was just a really cool moment. I'd won the award. The other finalists were kind of pissed that they hadn't won the award, so they didn't come to the uh, uh, thing. But then Fowler, Herb Street, and uh, – Brett Bielema at the time were, were there right next to us. And so we invited them over. Um, I mean, it's not every day you have a cocktail with, uh, that's awesome. Uh, you know, Fowler, Herbie and Bielema. So really, we're sitting there and, uh, uh, cause Jacob would ask for a cool story from the, the award show. So we're sitting there we're talking, having a great time. Um, I introduced my parents to, you know, Chris Fowler and, and, and Herb Street and all that. And all of a sudden, like, uh, Herb Street gets a, uh, a message that he's needed. And so he's like, Hey, I got to go. There's some breaking news. Uh, you know, congratulations, whatever. So he goes, 
So now we're just hanging out with Fowler and, you know, uh, Bielema. Well, then that was the night that uh, Rich Rodriguez had accepted the Alabama job. Oh, uh, Virginia. And so Herbstreit had to go and do his bit on Sports Center, And that was kind of like, oh, wow, you know, uh, Rich Rodriguez is leaving West Virginia to be the next head coach at Alabama. And then, of course, he you know, backed out of it like 24 hours later. Um, that was a really cool kind of deal to see how, you know, the inner workings of all that, that kind of well, stuff. How unprofessional of him to leave a dinner with you to go announce <laughs> that news. I mean, who does he think yeah. he is? <laughs> well, he's, yeah, they're, they're awesome. And actually, I was fortunate. I got to present the, uh, the 2014 um, Lou Groves Award at the, the ESPN College Football Award Show. And uh, the, uh, so I go down for the, the Palm, for the Palm Beach County stuff. And it so happens uh, in the, the fall of 2014, Lamar Jackson was the, uh, you know, the MVP. Uh, so I was able to meet him at that point. We had the Louisville connection, uh, you know, met his mom. You know, he uh, he's obviously was, you know, Vince, you know, he was an electric then as a high school senior. And then, um, you know, it's cool to come back. I used to come back to games. I, I go back to games all the time, but to come back in 2015, 16, 17, and, um, you know, uh, wear my, I'd wear my Lou Groza, uh Thing, and Lamar always knew that, and so he we'd always kind of catch up and all that. Well, so just been, just fun. so you know, to... just so you know, the guys like myself who are from Louisville, played at Louisville, watched you growing up, we also knew who you were without the you know award on your chest and all that uh, stuff. So, well, well, thanks, well, thank you. But uh, no, it was fun to fun to see you know um, you know Lamar's career go from that high school point to uh, to where he is today. But no, I mean, winning the award was. Uh, uh, you know, culmination of a lot of hard work. And um, uh, Harry Douglas was mad that I didn't mention him uh, when I when I won the award and was on stage. But uh, you know, it's great, and the, I have it here in my office at home, and it's uh, it's cool cool reminder that you know hard work pays off. Right, and, and not only did you win the Lou Groza, by the by the time that you ended up um, graduating from Louisville. You were at the time the NCAA's all-time leading scorer by kicker and third overall behind uh, a pair of running backs, one of which was Ricky Williams, which is, you know, he's no slouch. So heading into your post-collegiate career, what what were some of your 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 aspirations once you leave Louisville? Once you left Louisville, did you did you have eyes on the NFL draft? Were you starting to kind of gauge what your non-football opportunities like? Well, what were those few months after leaving Louisville? Like when you're trying to gauge of what you wanted to do next? Yeah, um, yeah, that was a, a bittersweet deal because uh, we, we we finished our senior year against Rutgers. That was a national televised game, and uh, I was able to break the record that night as well as kick a game-winning field goal. And you know, Brian and led us on a great comeback, um, you know, to, to win the game. And so we, we won that game. There was thought that we may have a bowl game. We were six and six. But the Big East didn't have enough bowl tie-ins at that time for us to to know we had a shot. So we were hoping that. Uh, we get an at-large spot, but um, unfortunately we weren't able to get one. So the season just kind of came to a, just a halt. Like it was done, uh, you know, a- after that. And so then you turn it, you turn towards the, uh, the, uh, the NFL. And of course, every football player that puts on helmets and shoulder pads thinks, you know, there wants a shot at trying to play in the NFL. So I started that process. Uh, I went to the hula bowl, uh, played that college all-star game, was invited to the NFL combine, uh, went to the combine, did draft 15 for 15 on field goals, um, but uh, didn't, didn't kick off as well. So they, the year before they had moved the kickoff and they've since moved it back, but they moved the kickoff yard line from the 35 to the 30. So we, we lost those five yards. And at the time uh, 
you know, Devin Hester was running wild. Um, you know, uh, Josh Cribbs was running wild. Basically, if you didn't kick the ball, you know, nine yards, 10 yards deep in the end zone, those guys were running it back. And that's what all the special teams coaches were looking for, looking for the kicker that not only A, could, you know, hit field goals, but also we're going to need you to kick the ball out of the end zone. And uh, going through that process, I knew that wasn't me. I was a real, I was realistic about that. I, I knew that that, that wasn't me uh, at, at my best. I was going to put the ball maybe five yards deep, you know, in the end zone. And uh, I remember talking to David Akers about this and, and when he, and I had an opportunity, I was an undrafted free agent in Tampa Bay that they had uh, Matt Bryan at the time. He was a great NFL kicker. I mean, he kicked for a long time in the NFL and it wasn't going to beat him out. And I was realistic about it. I knew that I really wasn't going to have a shot at, at playing in the NFL David Akers, uh, to his credit, he gave me a call basically saying, hey, what you did at Louisville was phenomenal. Um, and he was always kind of a mentor to me. We kicked with each other in the offseason. And he said, what you did at Louisville was phenomenal. Um, you know, you had a much better career than I ever did at Louisville. Uh, you should be very proud uh, of your accomplishments. The NFL is a tough business. And, you know, this, this is what they're looking for. You know, they're not looking the, for the fact that you can kick the ball, you know, five yards deep in the end zone now, they're thinking, okay, in January in Philadelphia, are you going to be able to kick the ball, you know, yeah. into the end zone? Are you going to be able to hit that 52-yard field goal into the win to, to to take your team to the Super Bowl? They're looking for those guys. And he goes, you're a great college kicker, and there's no doubt. I know you can kick field goals in the NFL, but that, that's what they're looking for. And so – and he was basically saying, hey, be proud of what you did. It's an uphill battle if you want to keep doing this. And so that was good for me because I know a lot of guys, they chase it. They, they get done with college. They chase the professional trying to get to the NFL. No waste, you know, three, four, five years. And I have some buddies of mine kickers that did that. They, they continued to, trade to uh, chase that dream. Uh, some got there. Others, you know, never got there. And so um, I was realistic about it. And I was fortunate there was an arena football team in my backyard here in Shreveport. And so I uh, played, started playing arena football and uh, used my finance degree and, you know, got a real job and played arena football on the side and, and loved every minute of it. And uh, kind of building off of that, obviously you played uh, in arena football for a couple seasons after that. At what point was it that you decided that, hey, continuing to play football is probably not the avenue for me now? I should probably move on to my next endeavor. When was it that you decided that? Uh, unfortunately, Matt, that wasn't uh, decided by me. That was decided by the head coach. If you look at my, if you look at my Fair Twitter, <laughs> if, if you look at my Twitter profile, um, it's mentioned in there. Um, oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So I was, uh, I was cut in a Quiznos um, uh, for my uh, arena football day. So we had played at Oklahoma city uh the saturday before and um oh my god it is in your twitter bio <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah at, at the time at the time i was working for chase bank in the commercial banking uh you know, department so i had a good job arena football was just you know basically beer money and you know uh still getting that football that football in so we go up to oklahoma city and uh had a rough game i missed a couple extra points um and then we uh we were up by six and uh, we had the ball at like the 10 yard line, nine yard line. And so at that point you can't, you can't kneel the ball run up the clock because the clock stops unless there's, you know, positive yardage. Uh, the clock means the, yeah, the clock will stop uh, if you don't get positive yardage. And so we basically threw a couple passes in the end zone, tried to score. Uh, I went out for a field goal, 27 yard field goal with about, I don't know, maybe like 
11, 12, 11 seconds left. And so, you know, if I make it, you know, get basically game over, uh, if I miss it, well, you know, we, we tackle them or, you know, we, we stop them from advancing the ball and they've got, you know, Hail Mary, uh, to, you know, that we can just knock down on the game. Well, unfortunately I rifled it off the, uh, the right upright. It bounced a DB caught it on the run and took off and ran it in for a touchdown. They kicked the extra point. We lose the game. At that point, I'm walking off the field, and I'm like, yeah, I'm probably getting cut on uh, on, uh, on, on Monday. And so, uh, so yeah, so the head coach called me, and uh, we, have, we still have a great relationship to this day. He called me and was like, hey, you want to get a sandwich at Quiznos? I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Let's, you know, let's go. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to cut me, at least buy my freaking sub. Yeah. Well, actually, that was part, of, part of reading football, they give you these meal coupons. Like, each week we would get an envelope that had, like, seven meal coupons in there to different restaurants around town. So it was part of their trade sponsorship. And so they would basically just get, like, get, like a free, you know, combo meal, Quiznos, whatever. And so I'm sure our head coach had, like, you know, 100 of them. And so, um, you know, on my lunch break at, uh, you know, my commercial banking job, I meet him at Quiznos. He's like, hey, I hate to have to do this, but, you know, it's business and we're going to let you go. And uh, I was like, yeah, I, pretty, I get it. I understand. Uh, you know, thanks. We love playing for the for the Battle Wings. And um, that was kind of it. He was like, hey, you, you don't want to have lunch? And I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I think I want to go uh, go back to the office. And so that was kind of <laughs> it. And at that point, um, you know, my, my banking career had kind of taken off. And I was like, I don't – I'm not – and – we found out later the team was moving to new Orleans. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to continue to try to chase this after the year. And so that was pretty much the end of my, uh, my football career. So uh, following all that, you've uh, obviously worked in finance and involved in some uh, college football stuff as well, where you've uh, been heading, heading up on uh, some bowl committees and stuff. Why don't you speak on that? Uh, the bowl games you've been involved with and kind of the stuff that you do uh, with that. Yeah, so uh, I came back to the Shreveport. We obviously have the Independence Bowl. It's actually like the ninth bar, longest, maybe, I think. I think we're the ninth longest uh, tenured bowl game uh, in college football. And so, of course, I get back to town. I'm working you know, in the banking industry, and some guys are like, hey, you play college football. I want to you know, begin a ball for the bowl game. And so I volunteered uh, just different things for you know first few years. And then I got on the executive committee, and you're on the executive committee for like five years. You kind of work your way up to being like vice chairman, and you get to eventually be the chairman uh, of the game. So I was the chairman of the uh, the 2019 um, Independence Bowl uh, between Miami and Louisiana Tech, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, the, the the years before that, I'm still on the selection committee, and so you know we still go. I still go on scouting trips uh, for games. We had an ACC tie-in, so I actually was able to uh, to utilize my uh, Independence Bowl credentials to get, get seats up in the press box uh, and awesome. feel nice. the game. So, uh, I was, you know, I was at the, uh, uh, I was at the game in, in 16, the, uh, obviously the Houston, uh, Louisville game. And then I was actually also at the, uh, Kentucky, uh, game in the season with the Orange Bowl guys who I knew really well. And they were dead set. So I Man, to oh, for two that year. And that was they a were, good year, Art. Yeah. No <laughs> kidding. Uh, but they, they, they were, they were dead set on inviting you guys if, uh, you know, y'all won that game. And so, um, I, I hated, hated how that ended. Uh, but yeah, I, it's really cool, you know, being involved. I've been able to go to uh, multiple um, ACC championship games on behalf of the bowl. The SEC championship game uh, was at the Conference USA championship game when Brian and Jeff uh, won in 2016. And so it's kept me involved in, in college athletics. I used to go to the ACC spring meetings uh, down in Jacksonville. Um, and so being around, you know, all the coaching staffs and athletic directors, uh, you, you kind of see the inner workings uh, of how things work in, in college football. 
And it, it's just, it's kept, it, that's kept my football, you know, it's a lot. I'm still involved with the Independence Bowl. Um, uh, I host, co-host our weekly radio show during the uh, college football season. Uh, and it was really cool in 2019 when uh, Miami and Tech were here. Uh, Eric Wood was the sideline reporter for uh, free SPN during the game. So I got to hang out with Eric while he was down here and uh, we had a real good time. So, uh, you know, it really enjoyed you know, that. And, uh, you know, bowl games are great. I mean, they're, they're the fabric of college football. I'm curious to see what happens uh, with the, with the playoff and what it does to, to, to some of these bowl games, because they really are a, uh, a wonderful experience for, uh, for the players and the coaching staffs. Did, did oh, you know that did you know that that much stuff went on behind the scenes uh, in college football? Because whenever I got moved up to helping with Coach Satterfield and those guys up yeah. in the offices, I was like, oh, this is going to be smooth. I'm not going to be all that extra work BS. I don't have to do that anymore. I'm not lifting. I don't, you know, it, it would complete opposite. But did you know that that much went on behind the scenes with, you know, selecting a bowl teams and, you know, getting no. everything scheduled? Yeah. I tell you, it's 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 uh, it's eye opening. Um, uh, you and you, you can read the articles now. I mean, ESPN has a ton of control over uh, over these bowl games. Uh, it's it's cheap programming for them. That's why they own so many of them because it's cheaper for them to produce and put on a bowl game between you know two uh, group of five teams than it is to pay Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless to yell at each other for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I remember. Um, uh, uh, two, two, two quick stories, two of my favorite stories for, from my times at, uh, actually three, if you got the time. Go ahead, two. man. Yeah, we're here for you. Go ahead. So, um, the, the first one is, uh, in 2017, we, we know we're not going to get a, um, a, a SEC team. Cause that was kind of the whole thing. They were playing too many up into the group of six in the playoffs. And so we got to go to backup agreements. And so I go out to, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, I go out to, to Los Angeles to go to the Cal UCLA game uh, in the Rose Bowl. And um, both teams are five and six. So basically the winner of the game, you know, goes to a bowl game. And so get out, get out there. I've got to pass out all the credentials and stuff. And of course, you're in the press box. And then people see it and they're like, oh, the Independence Bowl's here. Oh, winner of the game goes to the Independence Bowl. And it's like, well, that's not quite how it works, but okay. It was the, just the most – it was the day after Thanksgiving. It was the night after Thanksgiving, so it was a late kick um, on the East Coast, 7 o'clock West Coast. It's dead. There's nobody there. Um, uh, the, they had fired uh, Jim Moore like three weeks before. Um, uh, you know, I have – so I have to – part of these bull trips, you have to go talk to the athletic director. And so mm. I'm uh, making the rounds, you know, get, and knock on the athletic director's, you know, suite. And then some – some of these places, it's like tough to get in. If like you're not on the list, they're not just going to let you in. So I've got these cards, Independence Bowl gives. Like, hey, I'm with the Independence Bowl. If you want to say hello, and so again, it's completely dead. This stadium, nobody cares that Cal and UCLA are slogging to a finish to, to finish college football season. I go in that uh, AD's suite. You just thought they won the Super Bowl. It was the most festive atmosphere I'd ever, <laughs> ever been in. Well, what I didn't know is they had literally like two hours before had uh, inked up Chip Kelly to be their head coach. And so uh. they were celebration. <laughs> and, of course, the AD is like, yeah, if we win, we're not coming to Shreveport. Like, season's done. We're, we're, we're done. But thanks for coming. So uh, that was one. The other one was uh, when I asked you, the chairman, uh, we're, we, we're hoping for uh, a good ACC team. We're hoping for a good team from um, 
Conference USA because we know we're not going to get the SEC team because, you know, Bama, LSU, Georgia are all playing out. And so I go up to Boston College the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Boston – I mean, I'm sorry, Pittsburgh. Boston College is playing Pittsburgh. Um, I'm begging Pittsburgh to win this game because I don't want a 6-6 six and six Boston College because I'm just – I know that ESPN is going to send us a 6-6 six and six Boston College just team. Just terrible ratings, terrible football. Terrible. Nobody's yeah. Nobody's Matt loves it. Matt's a big BC fan. He's a side BC fan. He doesn't don't like listen. that. Don't listen to them. Yeah, so anyway, so we're, we're there, and at halftime, I go into the AD suite, and it's uh, uh, Martin Jarmond, who uh, fantastic guy, by the way. He's now UCLA um, athletic director. And there's nobody in there. It's just him. He's, yeah, I, I, nobody's come to this Boston College, you know, uh, uh, pit game. And so I'm talking to him, and, you know, Adazio's on the hot seat uh, at this point. And so I'm talking to him. He's great. We're talking about football. We're talking about, you know, my days at Louisville, his college basketball days. So I'm a huge college basketball fan. And all of a sudden, it's like booster for BC comes in. And he just looks pissed. And he takes one look at me and he's like, you're not supposed to be in here. Like, I could, I'm very good at, like, reading the room. You kind of get good at these situations when you're in these, like, you know, spring meetings or these college football meetings. I'm like, yeah, I think that's my cue to get out of here. <laughs> And so uh, I leave, they have their conversation. I go back in the press box. Pitt's just giving the game away. Uh, Boston College has got A.J. Dillon. They're just handing him the rock. He's getting four yards. It's, it's, he's just grinding out at the end of the game. So Boston College wins. And uh, I go, you know, down. Of course, I'm like, now I've got to go pretend like I love Boston College and they're the greatest football team, you know, in the world. So I go meet Adazio for the press conference. And he's like, yeah, we're coming. Like, we're com- if, we, you know, if we get invited – we're going to bring awesome football. And he's giving me like the pep talk. I'm like, I don't really need to hear it. Uh, at, at this point. <laughs> you know, uh, Mark, Martin Jarman's like hugging him. Like, yes, yeah, it's great. You know, great job. You know, boy eligible, all this kind of stuff. They fire him. Like not even like seven hours later. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So he, he gets, he gets fired. Then I'm, I, I get up at like 5 a.m. the next morning and catch my five by three report. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, I'm going to be the chairman of the Boston College versus Marshall Independence Bowl, and uh, nobody's going to come to this. Nobody's going to watch it. Uh, this is going to be miserable. And so I went to um, uh, the SEC championship game the next week, and I got to know the, uh, the ESPN kind of director of programming. He's kind of like the Wizard of Oz when it comes to uh, the bowl matchups, you know, he basically determines, you know, which teams are going where uh, for their bowls and they do it based on ratings and uh, uh, basically what's best for ESPN. And so we had all, we had heard all week that like Louisiana tech was done deal. He was sending them to Dallas. Like they're going to Dallas or playing in one of their Dallas games. Um, we're going to get the, the also the leftover teams that come for USA. And um we we actually had good conversation basically before that um, it, that Miami might be there for us to take um, and I'm like please anybody other than Boston College uh, you know just uh, please just anything so we get there the next morning and I get back to, to this report and we have our call with the ACC and um, they basically said yeah these this is where the teams are going to go um, uh, and of course by the way I'm always hoping for more. Not, not, <laughs> of course, I don't want you guys to come. Oh, yeah. Like I, Rocco and I have had a lot of conversations about this over the years when I come up to the Louisville games. Rocco would be like, "I don't want to come to Shreveport." And I'm like, "I don't want you guys to come to Shreveport either. I want you guys to be like <laughs> higher than six and six. Like this only wins for both of us. But in the event that you guys are six and six, 
I'm going to be standing on the table asking for Louisville. Uh, (laughs) Rocco's like, thanks, Art. (laughs) Yeah, so we have all we had multiple conversations about that, uh, you know, over the years. Um, uh, Same thing with Kenny Klein. Kenny Klein would always be in the press box too, and Kenny would be like, "I want Country Report either." I'm like, "I don't want Kenny. I don't want (laughs) you." Mutual thing. Um, uh, So we were told, like, "Hey, Miami's going to be there, um, you know, for you to invite." Now that's the other thing too, like. Teams don't have to accept the invitation, but, you know, it's pretty bad look on the team if they don't. Uh, so uh, we, we called Miami, they accept, and at this point, I'm just keeping my fingers crossed. I'd made my pitch to the director of programming at the SEC championship game. Um, that's like, you know, please send us Louisiana Tech, uh, do us a favor. We won't ask for them for another, like, four or five-year cycle, but this we have the opportunity to have, like, a really good matchup um, because they're not a bad team. The stands will be full. Um, uh, it, it'll look really good for ESPN. I kind of made my pitch thinking, okay, at least I try. At least I can go back to the executive committee of the Bulls and say I made my best best pitch to ESPN. And then that, sat that morning of Bull announcements, I said, hey, ESPN's released tech. They're yours if you want them. And so we jumped on that, and uh, we, had a, we had a really good matchup. And, um, yeah, it's uh, you learn a lot. You learn a lot going through, um, through the, you know, the Bull selection process. That's that's insane. That, that I've always been wondered wondering like what the actual role of a bowl representative is because it seems like they all they just like work only a few days a year. But actually, hearing that is, is from you is pretty insightful. It seems like they have a much more like intensive and tedious job than I guess we we think. Well, so we're we're locally owned. Um, yeah. You know, granted, like, you know, the, the Fiesta Bowls and the Orange Bowls and all that stuff, they have much larger committees and, and different interrookings. A lot of those bowls have an executive director. We also have an executive director um, for the bowl, but we also have a volunteer group that, like, you know, uh, I actually get to be the chairman. A lot of the bowls have the same thing. So, like, the chairman, it is – the year that you're chairman, there are a lot – you sit in a lot of meetings. You have to go to a lot of the media days. Um, you, you, it's nice. I mean, it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. Uh, there is a lot of ball. We also, the independence bowl, we put on a ton of events throughout the year. We do a, a big crawfish boil. We do a, a kids football mm. camp. Clinic. we do a 5k. We do a tennis tournament. Um, we do a lot of, uh, volunteer stuff that you, the chairman has to go through. But by the time when you get to the bowl, actual bowl festivity stuff, it's a, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you're going a million miles an hour, but it's really just for that one year. Now, the guy you see, the bowl representatives you see at the games, uh, the, the quote-unquote scouts, bowl scouts, <laughs> half, half those guys know nothing about football. They, they, oh. they, they, they know nothing about football. They're, they may own the insurance company. They may donate a lot of money to that bowl, and they get to go on these, these scouting trips. And so, I, you know, I'd sit with them in the press box because we're, we're, we sit with each other. Uh, Matt, you probably know this. You see the bowl listing of where we are. We're always in the back row. And I try to talk. Yep. Football. I, I talk. Try to talk football with some of these guys. They they couldn't tell you who the quarterback for Louisville was, and it's Lamar Jackson. I'm like, you know, oh, you know, football. So uh, so yeah, it's, it's hit or miss. Uh, it's hit or miss on that. I will say that the year that uh, the guy at the Orange Bowl in 2016, I've gotten to know him. You know, through the years because he's also involved in Lou Groves Award. He knows football, so he he would have been good. All right, quickly before, you know, we take up too much of your time, got a few rapid-fire questions for you. I want to throw in my own first. How many times has Blanton Creaky brought up the fact that he's 0.1% better than you as far as career field goal average? 
Oh, he, he brought it up, he brought it up to me like within five minutes of uh, us hanging out um, at the alumni event. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I love Quentin. He, um, you know, any any kicker that plays for uh, for Petrino, you're kind of a, a kindred spirit to, um, you know, he he uh, he um, myself and John Wallace are, are good friends. Um, and then, you know, Blanton and I, uh, and Mason King as well, we've, we've gotten to be great friends over the years. Uh, I owe them a steak dinner. They know that. Uh, so the next wow. time. Wow. Well, I, uh, how did that come I, about? I, how did that come about? Uh, in, to, in 2019, we, uh, when I was up there for uh, a game, um, it was actually the game that Blanton towards ACL. Uh, I, I was at that mm, game representing, yeah. the, representing the bowl. Um, we had met up the Friday before, before you guys had, uh, kind of y'all's walkthrough. Uh, I think I remember seeing you out there that we could practice, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was there that Friday. And so uh, Mason and Blaine, we, we, we spent probably like, you know, an hour before just catching up and talking. And so we, uh, I agreed that I was coming in that that spring and we were going to go to a state dinner and then COVID happened. So I wasn't able to make the trip. But I, I owe that to them. They know that. and They keep bringing it up to me. But no, yeah, uh, no, I, I, I was happy for Blaine. He was a, a phenomenal kicker uh, for, for Louisville. And um you know, yeah, he, he did bring that up to me, but he earned it. Uh, he was nails, uh, you know, for, uh, for for that team and or for the teams that he was on. And so, uh, so no, he great, great kicker, great kicker, and, and great guy, great guy too. Phenomenal. I, guy. I'm sure, I'm sure you heard this a lot, Art, but it, it's very relieving hearing like knowing you have a kicker that's just going to go out there and just do his job. He's going to go out there, yep. kick, kick it straight through the uprights. You don't even have to worry about it. You know, we yeah. score a touchdown. It's go, it's going in. You know, we line up. You know, anywhere between this range money easy yeah. we're, we're good three points our way so yeah that yeah, was yeah. that was always really epic matt yeah, go yeah. ahead with your rapid fire all right so now we're, we're ending on the show with obviously like Vince said rapid fire questions we're going to ask you a question no thinking just right off the top of your head just give an answer you ready this yeah. was very hard for Greg to do. Greg was given. I, 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 listened, yeah. I, I, I listened. I listened. Love Greg. Bro. <laughs> All right. Kick it off with this, which if any of your Louisville teammates thought they could kick or punt, but actually could not. Harry, Harry thinks he can do it. Harry thinks he can do everything. And, and for the most part, most part, shock he, me. Uh, most part he could, but yeah, Harry, uh, if you ask Harry, uh, could he play in the major leagues today in baseball? He would tell you absolutely. When someone says Bobby Petrino, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, offensive savant. Um, he, he those those years that I played for him, you know, I was on the scout team defense where we do walkthroughs on the road, and, and he and Paul Petrino would be talking about, okay, if this guy goes here, this guy's going to be wide open. It's going to be a touchdown. Or, hey, this first play of the game, you guys execute, it's going to be a touchdown. It happened all the time, especially, you know, those early years in conference, USA in the Big East where we would just boat race teams. Um, you'd see it happen. So, uh, yeah, offenses of on. I mean, he just he's a great offensive coach. That's why I'm fascinated to see how the uh, the how he does in College Station with Jimbo. Favorite or most memorable kick of your What's career? That? Favorite or most memorable kick of your career? Uh, the game winner against Rutgers. Uh, that was on that was on senior night. Um, you know, we were we were down big in that game to be able to, to, to storm back and have a chance to win it uh, in the last. It was one thing on my resume I didn't have at that point, and to be able to uh, to cap it off with that the game winner on national television was awesome. What opposing fan base had the most clever chance or things to yell at you just to kind of you know, get get you off of your comfort zone? So I, I saw that Jacob sent me this question uh, that's going to be asked, and the, the the answer is Syracuse. And it was these the, – so when you're at the Carrier Dome, 
the there's no space between the sideline and like basically the stands. And where my kicking mm. net was, there was a group of probably ten to uh, a, a group of ten to thirteen year old kids that were just unmercifully just trying to just you know uh, heckle me, and they were terrible because they would just say the same thing over and over and over again. But they were just relentless. They just would not shut up the the entire game. You block out most everybody on the road. You kind of just block everybody out. But these kids were just right there at the railing and just would, you know, uh, just yell at me nonstop. And, of course, they'd be like, hey, can we have a football? I'm like, no, you can't. You're, you've been <laughs> yelling at me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, so what what was your pre-game and pre-kick routine? Uh, pre-game was um, be terrified of the wind. Um, wherever we were playing, uh, that was, I would hope that that would start actually in the morning in the hotel. I'd open up the window, the blinds to the room. I look at the flags at the hotel and I'd be like, I used to laugh my ass off of Mason and Creaky doing the same thing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, yeah, you're, you're just, you're, you're, you're hoping the wind is on your side. Um, pre-game routine is just get, getting loose, uh, you know, trying to, um, get as much kicks as you can before everybody else gets on the field and takes up all your space. And then pre, uh, pre-kick routine offense, we get the ball. When they get around midfield, I uh, put my helmet on, go over to the net, kick three kicks, kind of watch on the scoreboard what was going on. And then, you know, third down, they'd be on for PAT field goal, and I'd go stand and wait, and that'd be kind of the pre-kick routine. Then Dap and Harry up, obviously. And then after every kick, Breno Giacomini, who was our offensive lineman, he was, uh, you know, ginormous human being. He would always put his hands as high as he could, and I'd have to run and jump and give him a high five. That's good. <laughs> thing you miss most about playing uh the locker room um same thing probably everybody else says uh you just you can't replicate that uh in any part of life um the locker room being around the guys whenever you come up to Louisville what what's the food joint that you have to hit up every time you come uh man they, they've they've put in so many new restaurants and that kind of that new Lou um, place uh, around town. Uh, there's probably too many to name. Um, you know, we were, when we were in college, uh, uh, our favorites, we used to love going to Sapporo for sushi. Um, Every for player that comes on says Sapporo. That's so wild yeah. that that goes back to like 2000. Yeah. Cause like that, my class, like JV and Hawkins, if he were to come on or John Grenard, yeah. who we just had on was like, yeah. no. It, 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 and it is. I don't know what it is, but, like, I think just everybody gets taken there at some point. Um, that, that We always go there for sushi. Uh, although it, you, it, this was gone by the time you were there, Vince, but there was the Cardinal Inn. It was a little, like, house restaurant right across the street from the stadium that we used to go, me, Brian, um, and a lot of the baseball guys uh, who were in business school with us, we'd go there for lunch, like, every other day uh, in college. And it was just – it was awesome. Okay, well, well, McAfee still does it, so I'm going to ask you: Do you still get out and kick the ball around from time to time? Say, uh, I still got it. I could go. I could go not nail one if they needed me to right now. No, the answer is no. I tried probably in 2018 it was the last time that I tried to kick a football, and I kicked like a 35 yarder, and I made it, and I thought my leg was going to fall off the next day. Like <laughs> it, those muscles don't those muscles don't work anymore. Um, but, but Pat, Pat, speaking of Pat McAfee, he, uh, you know, he was in West Virginia when I was in Louisville and, uh, we became really good friends. We're actually still, still good friends to this day. I actually ran into him at the big 12, uh, championship. I was at that for the, uh, for the independence bowl. We have a big 12, um, partnership now. And, uh, you know, Pat and I were reminiscing about those West Virginia Louisville days, uh, or Louisville games back in the day. And he, 
he's just like he is on TV. That That's how he is all the time. He's uh, a blast to be around. Um, it's been so fun uh, watching his, uh, his success, obviously. Um, you know, rooted for him in the NFL. Tom McMahon, who was my special teams coach at Louisville in 06, was the special teams coach for the Colts uh, with he and Benetieri. So we've had some some good laughs about uh, playing for Tom McMahon. But but seeing his rise in the media world has been a lot of fun. All right, we'll, we'll get you out here on this last rapid-fire question. You take your 2006 Orange Bowl team, pit it up against the 2012 Sugar Bowl team. Who wins? Uh, 06 for sure. Um, I see <laughs> – Actually, the, I actually think the best team that I played on was that 0-4 team um, at, at Louisville. I, don't, I, I think the 0-4 team would would beat the, the 0-6 team and it wouldn't be be close. And I actually think that um, – man, I love that 2013 Louisville team um, that, that went 12-1. and uh, Teddy was so awesome that year. Um, and, and, and I actually think that he probably – would have got some more Heisman love if uh, if, if Charlie would have let him kind of air it out uh, towards yeah. the end of the year. No that, that, that 2013 Louisville team was they they were they were really good. They're 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 kind of slept on, I think, uh, as an underrated team because you go back and look at some of the some of those games that year. Um, they they were just phenomenal. Well, Art, uh, once again, uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, this has uh, been Art Carmony, Louisville kicker from 04 to 07. Art, thanks again for coming on, man. Hey, no, thank you guys. Uh, really enjoyed kind of going down uh, memory lane with y'all. Uh, it's fun, and I look forward to, uh, to all the episodes you guys will continue to put out. I'm going I'm to leave some five-star reviews. Once again, thanks for coming on. All right, guys, thanks. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.